Live Fitter and Longer with The Fitness Show, hosted by fitness expert, author, and TV personality, Fitz Kohler. She'll tell you why diets are dumb, supplements are snake oil, and the truth about how you can earn a lean, hard, pain-free, and athletic body. Now for our favorite bossy blonde, Fitz Kohler. Hi team, I'm Fitz Kohler, your fit expert and very noisy racer from fitness.com, and welcome to the fitness show so we're a day late because uh, facebook had a bad day yesterday wow i'm sure they did something to deserve it so i'm not having a pity party for facebook but i do feel bad that i left some of you behind that were expecting this show so we are going to have down and dirty conversations about what it's like to go through breast cancer treatment and um as many of you know i've been through my own exciting roller coaster ride with breast cancer in 2019 i was diagnosed after six weeks after a clean mammogram and then i was uh, sent off on almost 16 months of mean chemotherapy radiation surgery i had a bunch of hard times myself but i also look and think gee whiz i'm so grateful i didn't have some of the obstacles the other women and sometimes men have faced with breast cancer and one of the things that really uh, hit me hard as I was going through treatment. I kept thinking, how come nobody warned me of this? When when my fingernails started getting bumps on them and ripping off, every time I opened a drawer and my fingernail would rip off, I thought, how come nobody warned me about this stuff? And there was a constant barrage of things that shocked me and stressed me out. And perhaps maybe if somebody would have been open and honest and had this conversation publicly before I got there, I would have had an easier time. And so now I think, let's do this. And that's actually why I wrote this book. So as you know, I'm the author of my noisy cancer comeback and I spill all the juicy, gory, hilarious details um, regarding my cancer experience and my comeback. As you know, I'm running Boston Marathon in six days. So from breast cancer to Boston within about a year or so, not so bad, but um, I'm only one comeback story. I'm only one cancer story. And uh, we've got some doozies <laughs> for you today and for the rest of October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. As you know, there's um, probably making stride for breast cancer walks all over the country in partnership with the American Cancer Society. I'm actually the chair of my local um, Making Strides Walk here in Gainesville, Florida on October 23rd. So I'd love you all come participate if you're local. If not, go participate in yours. If not, you could donate to mine. I'll put a link up. And uh, just yesterday, uh, Ron DeSantis, my governor, he announced that his wife, Casey, was diagnosed. So it's one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer, which is pretty appalling. Great news is 93% of the cases are curable, which is good news, not good enough. I'll never be satisfied until we, uh, we bet 100% on this disease. So before I move on, what I want to tell you guys is that... Um, you can be a part of this conversation. I see you're already piping in and I see two breast cancer patients piping in right now, but use the comment section wherever you are. If you have comments, shared experiences, you wanna ask questions, please do it. And uh, I'm in to introduce my guest. So from Sacramento, California, up first is Rachel May. Hey, Rachel. Hello, hi Fitz. I'm so happy you're here. And we have Jonah. Hello. So, 
this is where I got, um, you know, I just, you know, I got three patients right now that are newly diagnosed. Um, Tyler, she's from California. Yeah, she knows I'm the boss. Look at that beautiful bald head. She's also a great singer and um, in the military. It could be a good book. I'm done with it's about me, Tara. No more. Um, Vicky, Miko, she's in Michigan and doing breast cancer, running 10 miles a day. No big book. And that's a great story of there's no such thing as two. That's right. Everybody's at risk. So, ladies, I'm going to let you start. Rachel, give us a synopsis of diagnosis that you've been through so far? Um, okay, the short, dirty version is last year, October 27th um, of 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, um, I was diagnosed with stage three um, hormone positive HER2 negative breast cancer because there are many different breast cancers, which a lot of people don't really understand. They think breast cancer is just like one thing. Okay. So that was my particular cancer. Um, it had been missed on, on uh, mammograms and dismissed as dense breast tissue. And then it was the size of a lime and already in my armpits and um, quite, quite advanced. And so, you know, things went really fast from there and six months of all the mean chemo and two surgeries and 36 rounds of radiation that I just finished a month ago today. And um, turns out I'm still kicking. Are you, now, are you completely done with all of your treatment? Well, I'm not completely done because as you know, most of us continue on hormone therapy for an extended period of time. So um, I have, I get um, the Lupron shot every month to shut down my ovaries and then um, in an AI to keep all the nasty estrogen from coming from elsewhere. And so, who knows, five to 10 years, but treatment is much longer than most people think. Yeah, it certainly is. I'll be on tamoxifen for 10 years, but I really like tamoxifen. I have no side effects, so I just, I'd like to be on it for life. They said, nice. <laughs> I said, no, you can't do that. But um, thank you for sharing that. And then Joe, tell us about your story. So I was diagnosed um, late February, March of last year also. So the beginning of the pandemic. And at the same time, I was laid off from my job. So it was just, everything was kind of crashing down at once. Um, luckily I was on my husband's insurance. Um, however, okay, so I went in and uh, for a routine mammogram every year and I've been doing them. Um, so I was diagnosed at 46. So I've been doing them since I turned 40. So they had, they had to compare, something to compare to. So I showed up with calcifications in my right breast. Doctor kept saying, I'm sure it's nothing. I've seen this before, you know, don't worry about it. We're just going to do a biopsy just to make sure it's, it's nothing. Did a needle biopsy, um, turned up uh, inconclusive. So he said, you know, uh, if it were my wife, I wouldn't be happy with that. I'd want to dig a little bit more. So I said, okay. And he said, we have a cancellation tomorrow for um, put you to sleep at, you know, cut biopsy. So I said, okay, let's do it. Did that. A um, couple days later, he said, we found abnormal cells. So it was, I was diagnosed with DCIS. So um, it hadn't spread yet. It was non-invasive. Uh, and then I just decided to go ahead and have a double mastectomy uh, because I knew that I wanted to pursue IVF a fourth time. And 
my husband and I still wanted to have a baby, try for a baby. So I knew I'd um, done a few consultations with oncologists. I spoke to a woman uh, in at Emory who had worked with, um, she had a lot of patients who were breast cancer survivors. And um, I spoke to a local, you know, oncologist. I spoke to my fertility doctor. Spoke to my, so everyone kind of said, we're comfortable with this. If you go this route, that you can continue your IVF journey. So that's what, what we did. So I had um, April 10th, I had double mastectomy. Um, unfortunately, in June, June 22nd, I developed an infection in my right breast. Um, that was almost worse than the actual surgery. Uh, and then in October, I did a reconstructive surgery to kind of fix my, uh, my nipple area because uh, during the process of healing, I lost my nipples. It, the blood flow cut off, and so I lost that. And you, and you told me you tried to save them, correct? Well, so it, it, it's kind of a weird thing. You know, I could tell something was going on. Like you can tell, like, this doesn't look right. They're decaying, you know. And my, you know, my plastic surgeon said, there's nothing we can do. We can just kind of, just kind of let it do what it's supposed to do. Um, so they both kind of fell off. And um, I had surgery to reconstruct them. So she used ear, part of my earlobe to build a nipple. Um, and uh, my body rejected it. And I, you know. I can laugh about it now, and I've told you this before, but one day I just saw my, my nipple on the floor. <laughs> I was just like, Explain that to me. So what are you doing? What are you wearing? And then. So nipple. I was using, I was using the guest bathroom shower quarters because they were much cleaner. <laughs> and uh, instead of our main where my husband and I used, you know, so the, the guest bathroom was my bathroom and I was like, you're not allowed in here. Um, so it was just me going in and out and I was coming out of the shower and I looked down and I could see, you know, it was like the size of my fingernail, my pinky, a brown, you know, little piece of tissue. And I just looked at it. I was like, oh, look at that. <laughs> I guess it didn't work. <laughs> and um, like I said, I can laugh about it now. Of course, it was a little bit heartbreaking, but sure. what, you know, after going through so much, it's just, I, I, you almost build up a shell, you know, you, out of protection. And you just, I mean, how many times can you break down? It just, you just get to a point where it just, you hit a wall. And so, like, it is what it is. <laughs> so, so that's a really good place. Let me, um, you know, Rachel, how, when, when did you first cry over this? When did breast cancer first make you cry? Oh, I mean, I think. For me, like the worst parts of the journey are before treatment, like that gap between when you find out and you like actually start treatment because you just, it's, you're, you're shaken to your core. I am a really optimistic person. So like, it just never occurred to me that something that bad would ever happen to me or that like I would be the one um, who got cancer and I definitely felt like way too young and, um, you know, I was just floating along and, you know, like, um, I think especially like in your early forties, it's usually like when you're hitting your, your stride, like career wise, right? Like all of a sudden, all the things that you ever wanted kind of start to happen for you and you, uh, feel the, you're like, oh yeah, like 
my face is falling off because I'm in my 40s and that's not very fun. But also, like I've never felt so empowered and strong and I know myself and I've learned all the lessons and I'm like ready to rock. And then all of a sudden it's just like, boom, like total floor gets pulled out from underneath you. And you just feel like you're falling through a dark tunnel during those first like few weeks. And you're just, there's a level of like terrified. And I just remember, you know, I would just like with my partner, like we would lay in bed and just hold hands and we would just sob and sob and cry. We were both just so scared. And, um, and there's nothing really for you at that time. Like, I, I feel like there should be like they should immediately put a group of therapists around you during that time. They're just like, yo, you have cancer. And now like all these things are going to happen. And, um, and also it's so crazy because if you, it seems like if you get any other type of illness, they're like, um, okay, you have this thing and this is what we're going to do to fix it. Right. Right. When you get breast cancer, it's like, okay, you have this like, potentially deadly disease here's like a menu of options yes. and then you normal sales trainer girl who's not a doctor and knows nothing about cancer you decide how to save your own life like you make all the choices hey rachel you want to have surgery first or chemo first what kind of surgery do you want to have do you want to have that chemo do you want to have radiation like do you like do you want to do all these things and you choose and that to me i would just cry and cry and cry because i couldn't figure out like my treatment didn't start like as soon as it should because i was just too traumatized Wow. to make those types of decisions, you know? So that was the worst to me. Like those, that first like month when you find out between when you find out and when you start the treatments emotionally were not even as bad as what that was to me. Yeah. Those, those are all great points. And I identify with that completely. It's funny. One of the things that, uh, I experienced is, you know, yes, you're positive for breast cancer. We just don't know what type it is yet. But between diagnosis and figuring out that I was HER2 positive, estrogen positive, maybe, maybe not progesterone positive, we didn't know what the treatment was. But I went in for this breast cancer 101 uh, experience with the physician's assistant. And she told me basically every horrible thing that could happen to me before knowing, like if she knew what I specifically had, she would say, well, you won't have to deal with X, Y, Z. These are the things you're facing. But it went from, you know, double mastectomy, ovary removal to like a pineapple may grow out of your head. If you're, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's all these things. And, and basically none of that stuff happened to me. I mean, I got sick and tired. There was a few things, but then there was all the weird stuff she never told me about. And I kept thinking, why didn't she tell me about this? Why didn't she tell me about my nostril hair and my fingernails? Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a weird time. What about you, Joe? Uh, when did you start crying over this? Nightmare? Oh, I completely agree with Rachel. I remember being in my office and the doctor called, or the you know the um, X-ray technician or something calling and saying, "We want you to come back in." And my heart dropped. I had an anxiety attack. I had to walk outside. I mean, I, I like had to go down low. It was like the elevator was going up and down, up and down, up and down. Every time they tell you, okay, you have to come in for another test. Yeah. It's that panic. You know, how bad is this going to be? Am I going to handle it? So yeah, early on I cried, but I, I don't, I don't react well to anesthesia. 
so I got really dark and depressed after the first surgery. Like it was, it was like a couple of months for me. Um, I mean, I would just cry, you know, on the phone with my mom and she would just like, just let it out. And I just might, you know, at that point, my husband's just like, <laughs> he becomes immune to it, <laughs> but your mom is, you know, your mom. And she's just like, I understand to cry, you know, cry it out. So after, I think after that, and then, and then the, the, the infection was really bad. You know, I, I thought I was going to die. Like it was just really bad. <clears throat> and I had to go to the hospital for three days and have IV. Um, so that was really bad. And then I think after that, I felt empowered, you know, I kicked it, you know, the, the infection, they, of course, give you the worst case scenario, the doom and gloom, not all women are able, you know, not all people are able to kick this. We may have to have you come back in and take the implants out and do this again. And it was just, you know, what was your hormone status? You know, that's a good question. And I learned about this on the, on the cancer board that everyone had a hormone status and I just don't remember them saying it to me. And so I look, I remember I'm not home now. So I wanted to look at, you know, and, uh, and look at my, my thing to see if it was there. So I, I, to be honest with you, I'll have to get back to you on that. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. As far as the crying goes, I was able to keep it together. I found the lump, but I thought, you know, I'm not going to cry over milk that hasn't spilled yet. I'll be cool. I didn't even tell anybody. I just thought it'll be hard. And then, um, and then I went, I went all Looney Tunes in the, uh, ultrasound radiologist office, but yeah, I, and I'm not a cry baby. I don't cry over almost anything. Maybe watching some soldiers come home from war on occasion, but man, I cried all the time. I just would sit in my Jeep or sit in my, my bathroom and just cry alone. I didn't want to burden other people with it. And I wasn't necessarily scared. I mean, some things were, you know, going back in, once I knew what mean chemo number one was going to do for me, I definitely feared number two and three and four and so forth. But it's just such stress, overwhelming stress. Where else do people practice having that kind of stress? Just doesn't exist. War? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's, it is a consistent trickle of trauma. And like a lot of times people say to me like, oh, I don't, I, I can't relate. Like I've never had breast cancer or, and, and I'm always like, okay, but most people have had trauma, some yeah. sort of trauma in their life. I actually never had anything. I mean, I'd, I've had some definitely not, it's not been like bows and roses my whole life, but I hadn't had anything that I would actually call trauma until this. Right. And now I like understand what that is. And there's many different forms of trauma. And, um, and so I always try and help people to relate. Like if you've gone through trauma in your life, there's just, it's kind of this trickling of trauma, right? Like each treatment brings on a different kind of trauma inside of you. Um, and yeah, you just learn how to, I mean, that's, I guess that's why they call us warriors, right? Cause we've been to war. I guess so. I guess so. I feel, I certainly feel a lot more empathetic now with people going through hard times. You know, not everything is suck it up soldier as much as I would like it to be. Some things yeah. you can't just suck up. So um, I'm going to back up a little bit and it looks, Joe, like you were able to keep your hair. Yes. So be, um, I didn't need any other treatment because I did a, a double mastectomy. So I avoided radiation and I avoided having to take any pills. That's very, very so that, be, and again, because I wanted to do IVF, that was important to me. You know, I mean, I wasn't getting any younger and um, I just, I, that was my, you know, that was important to me. So, yeah. And then Rachel, 
you have lost your hair. <laughs> I have lost my hair. This is my, this is my wig of the day. Um, yeah, so I tried to cold cap and um, that did not work. Yeah. Uh, like, first of all, cold capping, like God speed to the women who do that until the very end. It yeah, is for some people. It does work for some people. I think mostly it works for people who do not have to do AC chemo, that don't have to do uh, the, the red devil. Pamela, cold capping is like literally this, you can rent it and it's this hat that they put on your head and it basically has like dry ice in it. And, um, and you put it on your head, like you put like a nylon stocking on your head. My, um, my boyfriend put nylon stockings and then he cut out maxi pads nice. and he would, and he would tape maxi pads to my head and around my ears so that I wouldn't get frostbite like around my ears and my forehead. And he would, um, then like put this, like, like, uh, pantyhose things on my head to hold that in place. And then, um, and then you put on this hat that's like made of, you put a bunch of dry ice and then like you keep it in a cooler and then you wrap your head in this Velcro hat. And then um, the ice gets, of course, like melt. So he had to keep like checking the temperature with a little temperature thing they give you. And then we, while I was getting my infusion, you start like an hour before your infusion and then you wear it the whole time of the fusion and then you have to wear it two hours afterward. So he would like put it on my head and then he'd have to change it like every 30 minutes or so. We'd have to, and he'd have to change it really fast so my head wouldn't get warm. And the thought is that if it just like freezes the, the cells on your head, then it protects your hair from the chemo. And so you're wearing ice on your head, like crushing your skull for by the time all is said and done, like eight hours Crazy. to try and save your hair. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and here's the thing, like, I definitely wanted to save my hair, but the real reason why I did cold capping is because I had cancer during COVID and they won't let anyone come in with you to chemotherapy. You have to go alone. And unless you need a medical assistant for your cancer, um, your, your cancer induced alopecia. Oh. So um, if I cold capped, it meant that he could come with me. And I, so I didn't actually cold cap for the reason to save my hair as much as the reason that I wanted him to be able to come with me. So that's why I was doing it. But um, around like my third round of AC, my hair just started like, like coming off in clumps and I started to look really weird. Like it was just like, it was, I thought your hair just fell out of your head, but no, it, I would be sitting there just like pulling like hair out. It was so traumatizing. And I would just be sitting there talking to someone, just pulling the hair out of my head and putting it into little piles while I was talking to them, which is probably actually traumatizing for them as well. <laughs> and I just like put it in little piles like it looked like a 
like a chinchilla sitting on my nightstand or something while I was talking. <laughs> became like my habit. And it just became increasingly clear that if I was going to save any hair, it was not going to be worth saving. And it started to mat all in like big mats on my head. And so finally, and it hurt so bad. And finally, I was like, screw it. I'm done. This is not working. <laughs> So when you did you shave your head yourself? Did your boyfriend do it? Hairstylist. Um, so I finally I, I wished I feel like doing the cold capping and having it not work actually made the hair losing part like way more traumatizing. Like I feel like if I would have just accepted the reality of the situation in the beginning, shave my head, done with it. But like that whole process that I went through, it was so traumatizing, and um, and I wanted to have this like tough like. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this movie, like Billie Jean. Do you yeah. remember that movie, Billie Jean? Like, fair is fair. Remember? It's like, yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. So I wanted to have this like Billie Jean moment or something. Um, and so I played that Pat Benatar song from the movie. Invincible. Yeah. Yeah, Invincible. And I just went in a room by myself and just take my head off. And um, and then uh, my boys, my boyfriend and my um, sons all followed suit and they all shaved their head too. Oh, Although I would only allow them to have buzz cuts because I was like, not you guys aren't going to be very cute with bald heads and I don't want to look at you. So. <laughs> yeah, some offers to shave heads and I was like, no, no, I'd rather yeah. be good looking. So once you did go bald, um, what did you think when you first saw yourself bald? I, it was hard. It was hard. I just, you know, I, it was traumatizing and I didn't wear wigs during that process. I didn't wear any wigs when I was bald. I didn't start wearing wigs um, until like my hair actually started to grow back because like, I don't know what to do with it. Like it's all crazy and I just don't know what to do with it. And I had, I was, I had, it was during COVID. So I wasn't allowed to leave the house during chemo anyways. So who the hell was I going to see? Right. So um, I, it was, you know what though? I, I don't know if this is true of y'all. Like losing my hair was bad. Losing my eyebrows was a million times worse. Like losing eyebrows and eyelashes. Cause then you have no face. No face. Yeah. It was Voldemort. That's what I felt like. I turned into Voldemort instantly when the lashes disappeared. And I, apparently my nose had fallen off. Now you seem to have beautiful makeup tricks. Um, how did you manage no eyelashes? I didn't. I just looked like a like a drowned rat or something. I didn't even I didn't even try. I just tried to avoid mirrors. Mm. I, I I did put makeup on. The only time I put makeup on was when I went to chemo. And whenever I would go to chemo, that's the only time I would wear a wig and I would put makeup on. And I did it to cheer up everyone there not necessarily myself i just wanted to walk in and just feel as strong as possible and try and like lift the spirits of the people who were there and so that was the only time and um i am really good at drawing eyebrows on so i i managed to get through that but also pro tip on amazon there are these little like eyebrow tattoos and it looks like they would look ridiculous but if you if you get the right ones and they're only like 10 bucks and you get like a sheet of 150 of them or something and you learn how to do it correctly, they actually look great. 
they actually look really great. So I used those. I tried the fake eyelashes, but they don't work. No, no. Because you need eyelashes to hold them up. Uh, that's right. That's right. You can't put a strip on nothing. And tr trust me, I tried. I had to stand on stages bald with no lashes. And one time I had lots of lashes on the left side and none on the right <laughs> side. And I looked like that creepy baby from Toy Story. But um, here's my brow tip, a la brow tip, because I lost probably 70% of my brows and they haven't grown back and they're so blonde. But there's a thing called a brow stamp, which again may sound ridiculous, but it's a stencil. And then literally go boink, boink, boink. You just stamp it on. These are stamped on eyebrows. Wow. They're fantastic. It takes 30 seconds because I was drawing them on before. And I, I'm sure I look like a very curious detective. <laughs> so and coming on these shows, you know, I would sit down in front of my computer and go, crap, eyebrows. Shorter. <laughs> I mean, looking at myself in the, in the computer has been very challenging. With brow stamp, brow tattoos, we highly recommend. Yes, these are our beauty tips. Yes, or get micro that microbleeding before you start chemo, like right when you get diagnosed. Yeah, yeah. I, those. I considered it. I didn't want to be scratched anymore. I was like, I'm being busy. <laughs> but I didn't All right, so we're going to change course. Joe, yes. so not only did you just, well, I want to go because you're pregnant. You're pregnant with two babies. I am. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. Yeah. Fertility is a big issue. Some people, they, they get, uh, they have breast cancer, sometimes hormone positive breast cancer, which makes pregnancy a, an even scarier prog prognosis or whatever, so or prospect. So tell us about your decision to pursue IVF and how things are going. Oh, okay. So yeah, I, I was terrified and we were on, you know, we were deciding adoption or trying IVF one more time. And um, like I mentioned before, I said, okay, well, I'm going to consult with some people. And so I asked my plastic surgeon, does she know someone that she could refer that I can speak with who's, who's had breast cancer patients who, you know, had infertility and were pursuing IVF. She gave me someone, a um, great woman. I think her, her name is Dr. Kawas in Emory. And um, we did a zoom call and she put me so at ease. She says statistics show that it actually, it doesn't, it, um, IVF doesn't you know, increase your chances of breast cancer. She said, and in fact, um, statistics show that having a baby improves the lives of women who've gone through such a traumatic ordeal. You yeah. know, it kind of gives you something to live for yeah. and something to, you know, I mean, I, you don't have to have children to obviously have a happy life, but if it's something that you really want and, you know, and she, so she said, I have no issue with it. Um, so she even wanted me to pursue my IVF with her, but um, living in St. Simon's Island, Georgia, is just too far of a, too far of a distance for us to go to Atlanta. So we pursued fertility in um, Savannah. Um, I also consulted with my fertility doctor, who had already done a frozen egg transfer for us the year before, and um, that that was a failed implantation. And I consulted with an oncologist at um, the Georgia Hospital, Southeast Georgia Hospital. And he also felt comfortable with it. My plastic surgeon, my, you know, everybody kind of felt comfortable with it. So I was scared, but I just said, let's do it. And so, yeah, so we pursued IVF and um, the, uh, the doctor gave us a 33% chance of one. We always put two embryos. This is my fourth cycle. And um, I've been trying for seven years 
And um, we put into, the doctor gave us a 33% chance of one implanting. And to our surprise, both implanted. So, yeah. So today I'm 26 weeks. We did have a little, uh, we, I, if, if you can't notice, I am in the hospital because at our 24-week scan, um, baby A had um, the blood flow, the oxygen blood flow, it wasn't at its optimal. So it's kind of fluctuating. Uh, baby B is doing well. So the doctor that day said, you know, we suggest you check into the hospital tonight. <laughs> and of course that was like, ah! so I, <laughs> opposite of you, I, it doesn't take much for me to cry. Emotions <laughs> okay. on the sleeves. <laughs> so, the hormones uh, too. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was just like, ah! my, my husband was in this too. And so I checked in and I, you know, I've been here two weeks and the babies are stable. They monitor them twice a day. Um, I get, you know, the Dopplers on my belly twice a day and we listen to the heartbeats. My vitals get checked four times a day and twice a week we do a full ultrasound to make sure nothing has gotten worse. You know, we had one yesterday and everything was stable, not better, not worse. If we can just keep them that way for as long as possible, um, that's, that's the goal, you know. So it's been a, it's been a rough ride and I can't believe I even put myself through this after last year, but you just don't realize how strong you are. You know, once you finish a challenge or it, somehow you, and I'm optimistic, I'm an optimistic person too. It's like somehow you're like, all right, what else you got? Let's go. I, I love it. And one of the things, I mean, I already was, as you could tell, a little bit suck it up soldier in my whole life, but then cancer came and there was all these people on social media saying, pray for me. I sprained my ankle. And I thought, love of God, really, is that, is that what you want to be? You want to be that person that's moaning about chafing or whatever the hell is going on? Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm so grateful when I'm stuck in a traffic jam that I'm not in the accident up ahead causing the traffic jam. And so, um, yeah, it's good to have an optimistic attitude. And I think something crazy like chemo or cancer coming really brightens that optimistic attitude don't you think oh yeah and i like i said i've always been kind of like um my brothers make fun of me and they say that i you know i um i live in la la land because i've always been a positive person and i always try to see the best in things and i think that that's what helps me bounce back from adversity you know it helped me fight back you know i I'm always, I always say like, I'm going to cry. It doesn't mean I'm not going to get through it. And I'm not, not right. mean I'm not going to do it. You know, just give me a minute. I need to get my head around this. You know, I'm going to be a disaster for a few minutes, but, and then I'm going to, I'm going to, it doesn't mean I'm, I'm not going to do it. It doesn't mean I'm not going to fight, you know? So everybody's different. You know, that's how I release and I release through my, <laughs> through my tears. As I've learned, tears dry. Eventually dry. It does. Yeah. And so I'd rather do that than, you know, and everybody processes things differently, but that's how I process it. Um, so I think yeah. a lot of us do. I think I, I can't imagine anyone going through all this stuff with a dry eye. It's uh, good for them if they can, but just doesn't seem very realistic. So I want to talk about surgeries. Rachel, did you have a mastectomy? I did not. I did not. Okay. And so did you lumpectomy? I did. I had an oncoplastic reduction. So I had huge boobs, um, which is why there was a tumor the size of a lime 
right that could go undetected because they were like really lumpy anyways i had really dense breasts and they were very big and um my first inclination was of course i think with everyone this is probably really the case is like just cut those babies off right. like even the non-cancer one take that thing too and especially in those first like few weeks after you're diagnosed or whatever um but uh i think i'm a little different than the two of you in that i am an insane researcher so oh me too Oh, okay. Yeah. So like I was a maniac. I stayed up all night, every night. I have read every cancer book. I've read every PubMed article. I've like, I, I'm a crazy person when it comes to like, if I could, it made me feel like I had some sort of control or whatever. And yeah, yeah. Like it made me feel like I had some sort of control. Like there, there weren't just things happening to me and I understood what was going on. And um, so my first instinct especially since i had already i i knew from my biopsy that it was already in my lymph nodes and i was already stage three so i pretty much assumed that i would have to have a mastectomy or a double mastectomy i think a lot of people assume that but with stage three what they're doing now is they're um and i'm not sure they're doing this all the time but you definitely have the option which is to have chemotherapy first instead of surgery first yeah, and you know cause, yeah because the the horse is out of the barn right like the, the tumor in your in your boob, like that's not gonna kill you. What's gonna kill you is those little, little, little monsters that are swimming about. And so to be able to just zap those first and then, um, and then that can shrink the tumor so that you could potentially not need the mastectomy. And um, so that really appealed to me, although I still thought I was gonna have a mastectomy at the end, but what it also did was brought me time and I think you know, we're asking women to make this mastectomy decision in like the most traumatic moment of their life like that, when you're so freaking scared. And um, I think it really does us a, a, a disservice because you're so scared in that moment and you don't know all of the information. And the more that I read and I, ha I did have a surgeon that like really encouraged me. She, she'll never tell you what to do, right? Right. But she, I could tell she really did not want me to get a mastectomy. And she was just like, she just keep reminding me, like, you don't have to. I will do whatever you want, but you don't have to. And I could take your breasts off, but I could never put them back on. And you're so young. And um, the more studies I read, the more I saw that the difference in reoccurrence between mastectomy and no mastectomy was negligible. No, no. Um, the difference in survival rates, actually, there's a lot of studies now that show survival rates are higher when you don't have a mastectomy. And so I started to realize and I that, you know, I didn't have to do that if I didn't want to do that. And by the time we got to the end, there was like very little tumor left. And um, they could just go scoop it out and take the same amount of tissue out of both sides, give me a cute little lift. And um, so they gave me a lift and a reduction. I always wanted smaller boobs. And after three babies and having like G's, I could basically like tie them behind my head with a, in a knot. Nice. You know, they were just like socks with rocks. So actually that's been a silver lining. Like my boobs are amazing. <laughs> I've heard that a lot too. I love them. They're so great. And I didn't have to get implants or anything like that. And so I was so grateful that people encouraged me to look at all my options and study all my options 
And in the end, we have to make the decision that we feel is best for us. Right. But I really feel like I made the decision that was best for me. And, and that's been a really big silver lining. Yeah, it sounds like you did. And I too would have done whatever my physicians highly recommended. I was in a fortunate position where they said, you can do lumpectomy, you know, the, the mastectomy serves no benefit to you. And so I thought, well, why would I put myself through that? Because what people are confused by, they think mastectomy is one surgery. But if you would like mm -hmm. any sort of reconstruction, sometimes it's 10 surgeries, 12 surgeries. And as Joe experienced, it's not so easy. So do you mind telling us about your mastectomy, Joe, and the fallout and what that looks like? Yeah, so, so um, yeah, I don't want to give the impression that my doctor said you have to have mastectomy. He did not. He, you know, he said you have a very little, I think it was three centimeters, you know. I will say that the before was so traumatic. That needle biopsy was horrible, you know, going in and out and going in yes. and out. The cut biopsy wasn't as bad because I was asleep, but my entire boob turned purple. That alone was so traumatic that I thought to myself, if I have to go through this every six months, I'm, I will be so paranoid. So let me backtrack. My mom was diagnosed with stage one um, at 73 and wow. she went with a lumpectomy and um, radiation. She did amazing. Um, there's a lot of cancer in my family, we were the first to get breast cancer, but there's pancreatic, there's, um, my grandmother had ovary, uh, ovarian cancer. I got tested for the gene, I was negative. Um, I have a, a cousin who constantly has to have, you know, uh, lumpectomies and that kind of thing or whatever. So that experience is what made me think to myself, this is going to rule my life like every six months because my mom has to go every six months. She has to, you know, go to the oncologist. She has to go do a mammogram. She has to go through all the whole nine yards. And um, that was a big part of my decision. So my doctor said, you know, you don't have to go with DMX. You can go with single mastectomy. You can go with the lumpectomy where you're probably have going to do radiation. You probably you may have to do a pill. And my second big reason was because I wanted to pursue IVF. I wanted to avoid all of that you know mm -hmm. so um i did a direct to implant i chose small boobs so it was one surgery not you know and i didn't um i didn't have to put expanders and that kind of thing um as i explained my experience was that the blood flow didn't get to the nipples and i actually lost my nipples um, but i know a lot of women who didn't you know who who had one surgery and they're, you know, they were fine. So it just happens to be that, you know, that's what happened to me. Um, and then the infection, I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I will never know why, right? So it was April, May, June. So it was like, you know, three months after. I think it was, I had gone to Savannah one day after my doctor had given us like, she was, she had, she'd give us a clean bill and she's like, you know, go have fun. It's summer, go do, you know, go swim. And, and she gave me the red, the green light. And we spent the whole day in Savannah. It was super hot. I was sweating, you know, we had mimosas and we were just having like, it was the first outing, like, you know, I was excited. Lo and behold, that, that night we come home and in the car, I could feel my right breast very hot and it's, and it hurt. And I said, my, I told my husband, like, something isn't right. And so I showed him, he's like, oh, they look fine. You know, I'm like, but, but look, you look twice the size. What do you mean they look fine? Yeah. <laughs> So, Such a dude. I'm a guy. That's right. Yeah. And so as the night progressed, 
it started, it started getting like more heavy and more hot. And that night I got up in the middle of the night, started throwing up. Mm-hmm. And then that morning I had, it felt like the worst hangover I've ever had, you know? And then like by t- I went to CVS, I got Gatorade. I was like, maybe I'm dehydrated, you know? Um, but in my, the back of my mind, I kind of knew cause I'd done research and I'm like, I know this is an infection. I'm like, I'm so screwed. So I called the doctor. It was a Saturday morning. I called her. She said, send me a picture, took the picture. I was like, this is creepy. And then, um, she responded and she said, yep, come into the office at, you know, at 12. So it was like 1030 got to the office. My husband came home from work. He was doing overtime. She took one look at me and she said, all right, we're going to emergency. You, you need, you need to get that out. You know? So I had to get my right breast, um, opened up, irrigated. And then I stayed in the hospital while they gave me IV or whatever. What was different with her is that she actually put a new implant in where ah. most, most, yeah, most doctors wouldn't recommend that. And she said it to me, she's like, I could leave it out. She, she said, most women don't handle that well to having, you know, a deflated breast. She's like, so I'm going to go with my gut with you and I'm going to put it in. And so I said, okay, you know, and the infectious disease doctor wasn't down with it either, but I went with my plastic surgeon's advice and thank, you know, thank you, but it worked, you know, knock on wood. Um, I was in the hospital for three days, came home on antibiotics for another two weeks and, um, it, you know, it cured it. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's really fantastic. So um, even more personal, what is life like without nipples? And are you are you past it? Does it still bother you? Well, I will say um, it, it was adjust, an adjustment to not have sensation. Okay. You know, and I remember the first time I took a shower, it was really scary because, you know, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to burn myself, you know, because I can't feel how hot the water is. And there's all those little things that you don't think about. And no one never mentioned that to me. Like, I probably avoided a shower for longer than, you know, like people are like, it's gross. You know, my mom's like, just go in a shower. I'm like, Ma, you don't understand. I'm going to burn myself. You know, I was terrified of that. Um, so that took adjusting, um, that having nipples, you know, it, it, it took, you know, it's, it's tough. I'm so lucky that I do have a husband that he was like, babe, even if you want to take them out, it's cool. You know, he's like, I just want you to be healthy. I just want you. And so that obviously was super reassuring. But I do look at myself sometimes and I'm like, well, that's kind of funky, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, um, I think age helps me absorb this a lot better. I, you know, I give kudos and, and my heart goes out. And like you said, I've developed so much more compassion for the younger ladies who have to go through this, you know, and they're beginning their lives and they're dating and that kind of thing, you know, like that's gotta be really rough. You know, in this case, I feel like my wisdom has allowed me to accept that my, I'm not my boobs, right? And I'd rather have my life. That's right. And, you know, it's just superficial at the end of the day. It does, it's not, you know, it's it's not me, right? It's, it's just, and so, I mean, you know, you only get that with, right, with age and wisdom, so. Yeah, with some for for sure. It's interesting. Someone recently told me, "Oh, it's so cool. You rock your port scar." And like, I've got scars. I've got multiple scars, and I do have the port scar. And I don't even think about it anymore. But I wear a lot of tank tops in Florida. And yeah, she was like, "So cool. You rock the port scar." And I thought, "Oh, I didn't even think about my port scar. I got to worry about people looking at my port scar, which I won't worry about it." But it was interesting what other people see. So, uh, Rachel, 
what were some of the, maybe the weirdest things someone said to you or the way people treated you? Oh, well, the weirdest things I think people say to you are things like, you know, oh, well, at least you are going to get new boobs. That's weird. Um, especially at the beginning, like, it's like when everyone's assuming you're going to need a mastectomy and then it's like, I always say if, if somebody had to get like both their legs amputated and they were going to get prosthetics, would you be like, oh, at least you get new legs, yeah. you know, like it's ridiculous that, um, that people think that way because it's breasts and act like you're like getting a boob job or something. Right. And, um, so that's really weird. Um, uh, I think it's very disconcerting a lot of times when people will like ask you a lot of questions and you can tell um, what they're really trying to get at is figure out what you did and how like wh like what you did or to get it, like how they can not get it. Like as if you have some sort of answer to that question or you you did something you know, oh, well, it must be in your family. No. Oh, well, like this, that, did you smoke? No. Like, you know, so it's like they're asking a lot of questions. You could tell they're trying to figure out how you got it so they could avoid it. That's kind of weird. Um, but, uh, and then I think a lot of times, like we talk about optimism and that's great. But the whole idea that people kept telling me is like, you know, basically that if you're not thinking positive all the time, that you're going to die be because like the, that's what's going to make you die that you didn't think positive enough wow and so therefore you know like they're just like oh yeah as long as you're like super positive then you know you'll be fine that's the real battles between your ears and i'm like no the real battle is that i have cancer right <laughs> and it's trying to kill me that's the real battle and and i think that can be a little like rude i know people are well-meaning with that but like it puts this pressure on you when you're crying and in despair and terrified and sad. You're like, if I'm not positive, like right. it, my brain's going to tell my body that I'm giving up and it's the end, you know? So I find that very disconcerting. Yeah, for certain. And what about you, Joe? No, I agree with her. Like, I think, you know, there are times when I want to just have a big party yeah. and I don't want you to tell me, yeah, but look at it this way. Like, I, no, I don't want to look at it. Like, I just want to listen, listen to me at my pity party. Like, it sucks. You know, like I, yeah, like, I can't feel anything and it's funky. And like you said, I do have that scar and I don't even realize it half the time. And sometimes I take a picture. My husband's like, oh, let's turn to the other side. Your scar is showing. And, you know, he doesn't mean it in a bad way, but I'm just like, but it, it's part of me, you know, I'm not going to hide it. Right. That's, it is what it is. But um, yeah. And then I guess some people said the new boobs, you know, Hey, great. You're getting new boobs. Um, I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't share it real publicly. I kind of just told people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but I think, you know, I am a positive optimistic person, but like you said, like, I can have bad days too. Let me have a bad day. <laughs> like, I need a minute and just listen. Like, just because I'm having a bad day doesn't mean I'm completely a different person. Like, everybody has needs a moment to feel like shit and to sorry <laughs> to, to just be upset. You know, mm -hmm. let me have it. So I think that's that can be a little bit a little bit annoying. And it still happens. Like you know, with my pregnancy, you know, this this isn't ideal. 
<laughs> you know, like I'm but once again, like, you know, I'm positive. I've got, you know, I've got my crafts here and I'm, you know, coloring and I'm trying to do everything. But then, you know, some people will call me like, oh, me, think of it like a vacation. Like, what? It's not a vacation. <laughs> no. Let's get that straight. Um, not my kind of vacation, at least. No. And I know they mean well, but it's like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just because I'm being optimistic and I'm making the best of it doesn't mean, you know, I'm like loving being here. And that's not how I wanted to end my journey, my pregnancy journey. You know, I was taking pictures and documenting every week. And it was like, this is what I've been waiting for for seven years. And, you know, it's like, like so exciting celebrating my babies. And I, you know, for two weeks while I was here, I didn't do anything because I was crying every day. Um, but this week I started again and I, you know what? I told my husband to bring in a few cute, cute outfits. <laughs> so I'm just taking pictures against the wall. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. I'll take a picture of my food and, you know, be like, this is the menu today. You know? So glamorous. My goodness. So fortunate. <laughs> yeah, uh, my, one of my, because I, I told my husband to take all my jewelry, but one of my friends sent me a little bracelet. So here I got some jewelry and she sent me a necklace. <laughs> So nice. So yeah. nice. So, so we talked about the weird stuff. And I would say that my weirdest thing was upon diagnosis, how many people reached out and said, Hey, you have breast cancer? Just want to let you know my mom died of breast cancer. And I was like, uh, Thank perfect. you. Why would you say that to me? <laughs> so um I, I prefer a basic, I'm rooting for you. Let me know what you need. What would you what would you advise people to say to a recently diagnosed cancer patient? Rachel. Send them send them food. Send them food. Okay. Rachel. You know? Definitely send them food. That that is huge. Like people, I had a meal train yeah. and people sent food to my house and food for my family. And that was actually tremendous, especially during COVID when nobody could actually like come over or yeah. see me, which was made it so hard. That was a great way to love on me. So um and my family. So I think that is don't. I think people that the little things people don't realize are the big things. And so I think the best thing to say is like, wow, that is, you know, I'm really sorry that that's happening or that has happened. That sounds horrible. Um, I am here. I'm going to be here every step of the way. And, um, and even like, not what can I do, but just, do something like be like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send dinner on Wednesdays or, you know, whatever it is. And again, it was COVID for me, but people did the smallest little things to show me love. Like, you know, someone came to my house and with chalk and drew like positive messages all over my driveway. Um, people would, I was very public with my journey and, um, and I have like a social media following. So strangers were just sending things to my house, nice. little like trinkets or whatever. Those little text messages, if you text message someone who's going through cancer treatment, one of the greatest things you can say in that text message is, you know, if you're saying like, I'm thinking of you today or I'm encouraging you today or whatever it is, put on that message, um, do not feel like you need to respond. That's it. That's it. That's in the book too. I love really? you. Don't need to respond. That's it's such a gift. Yes. It's yeah. such a gift because I felt a burden during that time. I was, I was blessed to be so loved that I was getting all these messages and phone calls and all this stuff. But it, it almost became like a full-time job to feel like I needed to <laughs> like respond and yeah. to and update everyone or like whatever it is. So that, 
no need to respond is such a gift. I love that. I love that. Okay, ladies. So what is one thing, just one thing you wish you had known going into this? Upon diagnosis, if they said, Joe, keep an eye out for blank or don't do this, what, what's your thought there? What would you share? Because we have newly diagnosed patients watching. They're, they're engaged right now. Yeah, I, I think for me is understanding that everybody reacts to this differently and you're going to lose yourself for a little bit, you know, but, but not to panic because you will come back. You know, I went really dark. I had no motivation. I couldn't even read a book. Everyone's like, well, why don't you get a good book, like a novel? This And I'm like, you don't understand. I can't, I can't absorb it. I couldn't, I couldn't, um, what's the word? I, I just... Okay. I, I couldn't absorb anything, you know, I, I felt like a zombie. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a lot like, you know, like Rachel said, like, I don't, I can't respond to everybody. It doesn't mean I don't appreciate it. And don't ex like, let me feel, let me, let me go through this. Like, let me, don't expect me to be something to make you feel better. You know, like I need to get through this. And so I, for like two months, it was dark, you know, and everybody's like, you need to get out of bed and you need to go for a beach walk. And like, I will, trust me, I'm not some slacker. Like, you know, you like, right. I just need a minute to yeah. understand what's happening to me. You know, it's really dark right now and I just need a minute. So that was, I did not expect to be depressed, you know, for that long, you know, like it was, it was, it was hard for me because I'm a huge crafter. You know, and I, I sew and I draw and I photograph and I do all these things. And that's how I get my stress out. And to not be able to do that was really hard, you know, because then what do you do with all of this? So I couldn't work out. You know, you can't work out. You can't do anything. So I think just allowing yourself the grace to just feel like crap and yeah. get through it. And then eventually you will, you know, you. You have to help yourself bounce back, but you'll bounce back, you know? Love that. Love that. Rachel, what do you wish you knew going into this? Um, so, so two things. Number one, um, something I learned quite quickly is the doctors and your team, they're going to get rid of cancer and they're going to take care of cancer. Um, but you don't have to be on autopilot. So let them take care of cancer and you take care of you. And so like if that, for me, that meant like really, I was really dialed into my nutrition um, and uh, I was a maniac about everything I put in my mouth and like the nutrients I was giving my body. And I read everything I could on how to like protect as much of my human as possible from kind of these like horrible, toxic things that, that were being thrown at it. And um, I actually did, like, I'm not a big exerciser like you, Fitz, or I wasn't before cancer. And um, I started, like, you know, walking um, as much as possible. And just, I just really laser focused on taking care of Rachel. And so there's a part of it that's just like, hey, this is your time to be selfish. And as women, you know, we don't really do that. We're giving, giving, giving to the world. And all of a sudden, like Joe said, you know, we really don't have anything to give to anybody during this time. We just don't have a lot to give to the rest of the world at this time. And so it's a time to take care of you and focus on you. Um, the second thing I wish I knew in the beginning is that, and this was true for me, so it's not going to be true for everyone, but most of those god-awful side effects are probably not going to happen to you. So 
Um, nobody really talks about this online, right? Like, no, it's kind of like childbirth is the same way. Like everyone wants to share like their shitty, horrible stories of like, my childbirth was so terrible and these terrible things happened. Well, my, ch my, my childbirths were like easy peasy. I pushed three times for 15 minutes. I got an epidural. I read a magazine. I pushed those babies out. Okay. Nothing, nothing bad happened to me. <laughs> nothing bad happened to me. And it was the same with my cancer treatment. So I went through chemo and everything. I lost my hair. I was really tired and weak. Um, but unlike you, Fitz, my fingernails, for some strange reason, grew super long and were stronger than ever. It made no sense. It made no sense at all. Um, my skin looked amazing. Um, and uh, and I never threw up once. And almost I got like none of those side effects. I was just really, really tired. And my mind, like Joe was talking about, like it wouldn't really process things very easily. I still have chemo brain. It's it's popping back. But most of those things aren't going to happen to you. So just, you know, realize that. And don't be so scared of every single side effect that you read about or hear about. I love it. I love it. And my advice would be to um, speak up immediately whenever a weird side effect occurs, because your medical team probably has some sort of solution or, or way to at least... Uh, support you with your issues. I waited too long sometimes and I, and I regret doing that, but great advice. Okay. So we're going to jump off breast cancer. Cause one of the things that y'all are, are people outside of breast cancer. And I'm glad we got to have this conversation. However, I want to have a couple of others, just a few speed round questions. Cause I think they're fun. I'm going to start with you, Joe, who was your first Hollywood crush? Oh, Rob Lowe. <laughs> Love Rob Lowe. He has a great podcast. Do you ever listen to his podcast? No, no. Oh, it's good. Okay, I'll look into it. Yeah, but I've always he was like my little crush. Yeah, and and I loved him on Park and Recreation. <laughs> so no. his podcast is called Literally with Rob Lowe. Oh, okay. That's yeah. That's from the show. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Rachel? Robert Downey Jr. Oh, was my okay. first crush in uh, Charlie Chaplin. I was a theater geek. Okay. So <laughs> I, yeah, he was such a great actor. That's, I thought he was so sexy. Love it. I'm on the John Travolta train. Um, okay. Joe, yeah. favorite type of music? Uh, hmm. So I, my favorite salsa singer is Mark Anthony. So I love, I love salsa. I would not have imagined that. That's your kids are going to have so much fun dancing with you i know we're gonna play it in the well my family's from puerto rico so that we grew up listening to spanish music my husband is currently learning on rosetta stone spanish Aww. so he's he's uh he's german scottish um so he's learning so he can speak to the babies you are gonna have to learn how to play the bagpipes uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah little kilts for them oh, for sure um, this makes me profoundly uncool, but my favorite music is like pop music, specifically like girl pop music. So like Madonna, Lady Gaga, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Taylor Swift, like all those, like, I love those girls. I love it. <laughs> I'm a country girl, but I love everything else. So your choices yeah, are fabulous. Rachel, favorite book? Oh, my favorite book. That's a hard one. My noisy cancer comeback? Is that right. my favorite? <laughs> I did not pay her for that, everybody. That is <laughs> right now I'm loving Untamed. 
it's my scary mommy, right? Yes, yes, yes. Very, very good book, Untamed. Yeah, people love that one too. I love that one also, besides my noisy cancer comeback. Joe, what about you? Uh, so I, I don't remember a specific one, but so I call myself a God-loving Buddhist. So I love anything by Thich Nhat Hanh. So I have a few of his books at home that I've read. Ooh, and some on my, my iPod. And so whenever I'm feeling crappy, I kind of open it up and listen to it for a little bit. I'm impressed. A little more highbrow than my book and Scary Mommy's book. For sure. <laughs> I have read Untamed, though. I re I've read Untamed. Yeah. And you like it? Yeah, it was good. I, it was like my beach walk. Uh, uh, audio when I, I was recovering. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I really like the um, cover of that book. I think it's very pretty. So I haven't read it, but pretty, pretty cover. And last question, Rachel, what's next for you? That's a big question, Fitz. Yeah. Um, I think what I learned from this journey is I have no freaking clue what's next for me. But whatever it is, I'm going to grab it and uh, play the cards that I'm dealt in the best way that I can. So I'm right now I'm just listening to the universe and knowing that the right things are going to come and that I am sure I'm going to be able to spot them when they show up. Let's use this. You said you were actually looking for a new employer, correct? <laughs> I am. I am. I'm, I'm open to all sorts of options right now. So... Um, I am in sales enablement and sales training, sales leadership, and um, I'm so much more picky than I used to be. So okay. I'm really looking to work with the right people in a company that is obsessed with developing people to be the best they can be. I love it. Do you, do, while Joe is answering this question, use your keyboard and put in your social media handle at Instagram, whatever. So somebody, if they're interested in hiring you, they can find you. Nice. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Rachel May. Rachel May. That's M-A-E. Rachel mm -hmm. May. Okay, perfect. <laughs> and then, Joe, what's next for you? Well, to safely get my babies to a safe place where we can, you know, deliver them. Um, but, you know, I, I do, I'm, I'm a super creative person and I have, you know, I have my, I have an Etsy shop. I sew, I make jewelry. And so I want to make sure that that's still a part of, you know, I know it's going to be rough and everyone says, forget about your life once you have kids. But I think it's so important to to continue doing that to, sh you know, so that your kids can see that you matter, too. You know, that I feel like that's part of self-worth is making sure that you still do the things that you love, you know, and then teaching them that mommy and daddy are still important and what they do is important. So that's my goal, you know, to incorporate them into everything I do to show them, you know, that once you know, mommy and daddy have a life too. And it's important for us to take care of us. So we'll see, you know, I, I, I don't, I can't even look that far ahead. Like I'm going day by day, week by week here. Yeah. So. Well, what a wonderful thing to have next. And I can't think of anything more exciting than twins. It is exciting. Yeah. What a, what a, what a bounce back from a really difficult time. Super excited. Can't we see pics? Of the babies? Yeah. Yeah, don't hurry up and have them, but eventually. Well, free. <laughs> oh, you mean you mean when once I have them? Yes. Oh, okay. I was like, you want to see the sonogram? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, but you know what? I'm a true believer in that you can have it all. You can have, you know, a great family, and you can have personal health and yeah. hobbies and entertainment and a killer career. And I'm not the only person that's able to juggle those things. You just have to keep pushing the envelope, forcing the issue, making happiness and success a priority. So 
I love you both. Thank you so much for coming on the very first episode of Down and Dirty Conversations about breast cancer. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you, Beth. You guys are wonderful. And we've actually had quite a few newly diagnosed women and patients on. So I, I'm sure some of your knowledge and history has really, really benefited them and, and future viewers. So thank you guys. If you haven't done so already, follow me at Fitness. If you're looking for a fun journey with lots of gory details, my noisy cancer comebacks available at fitness.com. And um, now it's time for everyone to get to work. Say goodbye, team. <laughs> All right.